You will are very familiar with this story from which we are drawing a few passages of scriptures. It's probably the favorite story, you know, that starts with our childhood if we were introduced to it in church or at some place along the line somebody told us about David and Goliath. And uh, uh, it's amazing that the scripture says that God went ahead and recorded all of these things for us. That's what Paul said. All these things were written, you know, for our benefit. And so this morning we want to discover what is the benefit of this story and draw some insights by the help of the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? And how it might apply to our life in how that it can be effective and in what God is saying and doing and, you know. So anyway, from this story, the Philistines said, of course, that's Goliath, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. So if you got these great armies Many, many soldiers, and yet it comes down to the battle between just two. Whoever wins, the agreement is that they, the winner, will be the masters. If you lose, then you will be subservient to that winner. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. This is not common everyday fear, folks. And David said, what have I done now? There's a discourse that's going on between him and his brothers. Is there not a cause? So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So is the reading of passages of Scripture today. The title of my message is simply, Is There Not a Cause? Is There Not a a reason. As we start this morning, I would like to point out to us that God loves when the odds are totally impossible. Think about it. Heaven's ratio on your, ha- on your behalf 
You are not a might. You are mighty. One can chase a thousand. Two can chase a ten thousand. I like to point out that one of the greatest units of power is the husband and wife. We know how important that unity is and the blessing and the power that is in unity. But boy, you got two right there and 10,000 is going to have to run when you get together and you chase them. So be encouraged, husbands and wives, of your potential. Yes, there's going to be opposition. There will be enemies. And sometimes it seems like they come in as many. But they haven't exceeded heaven's ratio on your behalf. Hallelujah. I draw your attention this morning to the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. In this ratio, it says that there were two nations that had gathered against Israel. And it says basically that their number was without the inability to number them. It says they, out over the land they were like locusts. Now, we're not familiar with locusts here. I don't even like Asian beetles on the side of my house. <laughs> I've seen too many of them. But locusts would literally destroy the land. It would literally black out the sun. So many. And it says that that's how many were gathered against or in the battle that Gideon was called to fight him. He goes on to say that there was camels so many that it was like the sand of the seashore. How many know that's more than one or two? Yeah. When we were in Hawaii and we got to be on the beaches there, you can say, oh, poor you. <laughs> I can't even imagine taking just one square foot and, you know, and counting how many was sands were in that. But that's what it says. And yet God goes ahead and says, get in, you just get 300. And you know the story. You know the story. Heaven's ratio on your behalf. This 
army of Israel was on the battlefield, but they were not in the battle. They found themselves in a situation that had been self-inflicted. And spiritual blindness had so diminished their awareness and their sight and so, you know, infused them with fear, fear, that we read that they were greatly dismayed. Is there not a cause? What is that? Well, it's a person or thing that gives rise to action. A principal aim. Something you to defend or advocate. A cause. See, God has a cause, but God uses people. He used Joseph to save his family from starvation. He used Moses to intercede and stand in the gap so that God would not destroy the people for worshiping the golden calf. You remember the story. Move aside, God says. I will get rid of this rebellious group and I will make your name great. Moses said, wait a minute, God. It's not just the people that are at stake here. It's your name. If you take this journey, if you take this route, the propaganda is going to start. And the story is going to go something like this. You weren't big enough, great enough, and you weren't able to keep your promise. And so we know that Moses stands in the gap there for them. Remember the story of Esther. You see, God uses people to stand and bridge the gap. Esther saves the people from slaughter. Jesus stood in the gap for the whole world. How many know that Jesus was a people? <laughs> Amen. Because God uses people to stand in the gap. The gap is something that's missing. Yes. So we have to ask ourselves, what and where are the gaps? And when you discover them, it's time to stand in the gaps. 
is there or is it not time to take a stand as David stands there? Is there not a truth worth living for, worth dying for, if necessary? David was saying, Israel, where's your conviction? Where's your conviction? David's heart as he stood there is pulsing with divine fervor. It was living beyond fear. We have to live beyond fear. Oh yes, church. Amen. It is a fact that giants are real. Problems are for sure. Pressure and pain. Persecution. But there's also possibilities. Living beyond your fear. Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and said, Timothy, don't let fear get a hold of you. It'll immobilize you. All those gifts that God has placed in you, all the opportunities that God sets before you, you're going to be reluctant to step into it. But move into love and power and right thinking. Somebody give the Lord a praise this morning. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes, you have to face the giants in your life. The way you do it is you've got to have values. You have a kind of conviction that dictate how you act and how you respond in a given situation. Everyone knows that challenges make life interesting, but overcoming them makes life meaningful. Amen? Hallelujah. Israel saw the giants as a problem. David saw the giant as a possibility. Those are not just cute phrases this morning, church. No, they are the nuggets of truth that we glean and receive from the holy word of God and the history that God has written down for us. David becomes a volunteer. He was not someone that was drafted into the army as far as Israel was concerned. He had not been called up by Saul. But he had been called up by God. Yes. He volunteered to fight the giant. 
You know the story of the events in David's life. Those events that happen in your life and my life are events that prepare us for the very hour. Yes. As Saul is trying to discourage him or make him aware, David recounts God in his past, which is going to fortify him with power for the present. Yes. You see, your private victories prepare you for public victories. What's been going on in the secrets, in the quietness of your life, in the innerness of your own spirit, you know, in the conflicts of your own mind as you wrestle with faith and doubt, as you, you know, deal with impossibilities and possibilities. And as you come to victory in them, God does not want your life's experience to just be private. He wants to prepare you for public victory. Hallelujah. Because there are people, there can even be armies that need someone to have a public victory, hallelujah, so they can have a personal victory. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Your private victories prepare you for public victories. Your downtime prepare you for your stand-up time. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Yes, David was no match for Goliath. But Goliath was no match for God. Yes, Saul, anemic in spirit, David, just a boy, Goliath, a man of war, David's confidence was not in his own ability, but David's confidence lay in his God and God's power. See what is going on in those battlefields of your private life. They're, they're there. They're not, they're not just to, 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 to make life difficult for you. Not at all. They're there so that God can develop And ultimately promote. Yes. And so 
Paul is spiritually anemic. And a result of that anemicness of his leadership, that weakness has affected the people. Spiritual weakness can have far-reaching effects and consequences. Saul, he moved further and further from the truth. And as a result, the difficulties that, that came in the nation, they intensified to the point that what had started far out on the outskirts now had reached the heartland. Yes. The enemy had reached the heartland of the promises of God. The headquarters from which, you know, the power should have flown and had neutralized them. This was not just a vague, you know, just a, you know, out there promise. This was a homeland promise. Yeah. It was a homeland promise. I won't go far into this, but the enemy has reached in America a lot of homeland promises. The family, which is one of the first promises of the heartland of God. Right from Genesis chapter 1, the launching pad, the fruitfulness, it has everything to do with the family. Family is so important to God that he went ahead and said that the whole family in heaven and earth your family no the enemy is not just on the outskirts Now, it's not San Francisco. It's not Las Vegas. Just. Let me insert here a key to your promise. is patience and endurance. Hebrews 6 and 12 says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Impatience is always an undoing. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. He's saying, don't change trajectory. Don't get in a hurry. Be strong and courageous and the Lord will give you good success. Oh, hallelujah. Is there not a reason to mobilize? You inherit the promises. Let's talk about promises for a moment and how important they are. Promises are the seedbed for miracles to occur. Promises are the language of God that guides our thinking and our response. I believe that it shall be just as God said. It wasn't even close to happening. But I believe, she said, it will be just as God said. See, promises are the agenda of God. Want to know what God's up to? It's written in the promises. Yes, the promises. It's God's agenda. What should I have faith for? What should I have patience and endurance for? For the promises of God. Promises frees us up to enjoy the process of how we get there. It's the process. Sometimes the confusion that loads us down and we can't enjoy the journey. Isn't it interesting that once Mary gets the word, once Joseph gets the insight, and of all the journey and everything that it went through, you do not hear one negative thing coming from their mouth. Woke up in the middle of the night, Joseph, you get out of here because let me tell you, the child's life is in danger. Sometimes you have to run at a moment's notice because God's got an ark prepared. Oh, 
God wants you to enjoy the process. Those promises are the engine that keep us moving forward. I have spoken, therefore, I believe the Apostle Paul said. You can take the promises of God and view them as voices from heaven. And when you do, it will drown out all of the other negative voices. Forty days, fifty days, excuse me. Pentecost is fifty. The promise is made. Things have been moving really fast, and all of a sudden, I want you to wait for the promise. Fifty days pass. I can only imagine what was happening at the fortieth day. No one my own mind. See, the wait didn't have a time frame to it. Knowing my own humanness, I only can imagine. Did I hear right? Are you sure he said it? Did those disciples really? Is that what God said? Secondhand information can be challenging. That's why you need firsthand information, your personal promise. You get it yourself. I don't know about you, but I love to hear, you know, others talk, speak into my life. But I really get assurance when I hear it from God personally. <laughs> and he has he's spoken it. He's spoken it. The promises. The promises is the voice from heaven. Yes. Promises are designed to enable us to travel with joy, peace, and confidence. Thank you, Jesus. And then attached to promises is proclamation. Proclamation. That's the vocal, the vocal sound expressed in praise that gives us enthusiasm and energy in our spirit. Some of you are waiting on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's waiting on you. God always does more with less.
Do not despise small things. What is this among so many? A reasonable assessment. Strategy. You have to start with the first piece before you get the second piece. And you got to pass the second piece before you get the third piece. And if you want to come home with 12 baskets full after it's all done, amen, hallelujah, you might have to give up your five loaves and your two fishes. Did you get that? You might have to give up your five loaves and two fishes if you want to come home with 12 baskets. Give the Lord a praise this morning. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Christianity is a cause. And for us to have a cause, we need to find out why. Why? You discover the why. You can go ahead and then, you know, give yourself to it. Why is Christianity important? Because issues that affect the destiny of mankind is at stake. Yes. It is true that everyone is not on the front lines, but everyone can contribute to the effort. Jesse, David's father, he's too old to go out on the front lines and fight with the spear and the sword. But he's not too old to give a supply. And he prepares that which makes for nourishment for his sons and for the captain, just like the widow who made cakes for the prophet. He encouraged those in battle with the resources that he had. <clears throat> Everybody can contribute. Somebody says, well, pastor's just small. That's okay. It's okay. Shamgar. All he had was an ox gourd, which is just simply a stick and a whip. Rahab had a string. Samson had a jawbone, and Dorcas had a needle. But all of them were used by God 
to meet a need in a moment and in a time. Oh, yes. God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, things that are not mighty. Does God have some of those things too? Of course he does. But he loves the impossible odds. And not because he wants to make it hard on us. Because he wants to keep us from falling prey to our own ego. Our own ego. We can get off on our own so quick. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 there when the creation of the thing you know look at how quick Adam got off one day he's communing with God let's say Thursday afternoon him and God meet and they're talking together and just having a wonderful time and Friday comes along and all of a sudden Adam is nowhere He's hiding. Aren't you glad that God stood in the gap? He found him. He covered him. Think about this. The kingdom starts out as a stone but becomes a huge mountain. Book of Daniel. I saw like a stone cut out of the mountain and it grew to be a mountain that filled the whole earth. What God might be asking you to do today is, may seem small. Might not seem like it's going to have much of an impact. But little is much when God is in it. It says that a tiny grain of mustard seed becomes a mighty tree. A few apostles spearheaded a movement that turned the world upside down according to Acts chapter 17. Join David in your moment and say, Devil, 
you might come to me with. And then whatever it is that he has come to that to you. To David it was the spear and the javelin in the hand of Goliath. But he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And actually another passage of scripture says, the God, the armies of heaven, whom you have defied. We cannot simply be on the battlefield. We need to be in the battle. I'll ask my musicians to come. People were plagued. They were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. Do you know that this was Israel's finest army? Yeah. This was the finest army. But they were missing courage. Courage to act. Courage to put their life on the line. We don't even have to go very far in our own history in America to witness men and women who stood up for a legitimate cause to change the course of long, you know, ingrained history. David was not content to be a silent observer. He felt a responsibility to act. It wasn't just the battle of that day. It was a battle for the future. It was a battle for his God. For the nation. And for the family. He understood that children's destinies lie in the balance. That's why we have the farm school. Those that serve there. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we're going to have Christmas story being played out by kids.
because it's got to start somewhere. Yes. David's reaction. He chose to get involved. He faced the realities of the day and understood his responsibility. Everybody does not have the same role. Everybody is not on the front lines. But when God set before me the picture, it wasn't just about my family. I could have raised my family. I could have saved and secured my family. But it was about your family. It was about the families of others. Oh. Yeah. It's not just about you and the safety of you. It's not just about me and the safety of me. was concerned he was committed and he was confident oh hallelujah thank you for your commitment thank you for your involvement Thank you for your part. Thank you for all of this. But in my heart, God is telling us that it's not enough. It's not enough. Don't join the crowd. Join the Davids. Join the Daniels. Join the Pauls. Join the Timothys. Join the Esthers. Join those that sewing with the needle. Sowers of purple. Oh, hallelujah. She sold purple so she could sell it. 
so that the work of God could have supply. Imagine how powerful your needle is if you will give it and surrender it to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. Are you going to keep me around? There are people that are in the camp or on the battlefield but not on the battle. And we got to help them get there. It's amazing what the victory in the face of those that are afraid, how it can change and inspire them to rise up and go forward. Amen. And begin to chase the enemy themselves. Yes. Is there not a cause? It's time to reach up to love God with all of your heart. It's time to reach in and love one another. And it's time to reach out and love the lost enough to get involved in their world as you stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. And I've told you before, I'm not asking you to go to the mission field. I'm not asking you to change where you're at. I'm asking you to just get involved where you're at. Hallelujah. It is not a physical change that needs to take place. No, it is a spiritual dynamic. You know, church, don't you think it's time to rise up in faith and leaving the familiar to obtain the impossible? It is. It's time. Every time people would talk to my mom and she's gone, bless her heart. And and while she did not see all of her children on fire and fervor for the Lord, it was the promises. I've got a promise. God gave me a promise. It was the promise that on Mount Moriah is, as Abraham, his son is laying there and God has asked him to, to go ahead and offer it. He says, I'm not afraid because I've got a promise. I'm going to give the Lord a praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not afraid because I've got a promise. 
Yes. Let me read what promises are again as you go. Start grabbing the promises. Promises are the seedbed for miracles to occur. It's the language of God that guides our thinking and our responses. Oh, yes. Promises are the agenda of God. When I say the best is yet to come, it's not based on anything but the promises of God. Hallelujah. Promises are the voices from heaven. Hallelujah. That can drown out all the other voices. The voice that says all things continue as they were. The promise says they're ignorant. Things have changed. Things are different. And the promise is nearer than ever. Give the Lord a praise this morning. Hallelujah. Nearer than ever. Sing it again. God's promises never fail. Let me give you a spiritual forecast this morning. All right? Paul wrote it. Or excuse me, Peter spoke it. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The spiritual forecast, hallelujah, has the eye, or the next generation is in the eye of the promises of God. Oh, yes. Amen. There may be a stall. There may be a gap. But somebody stand in the gap. Hallelujah. Till the rain falls and the fire comes. Hallelujah. And the lives are transformed. Amen. Go with God because he's leading you right where you're at. On your way. Praise the name of the Lord. Because there is a cause. And you are God's man and God's woman right where you're at. Whether you are in the kitchen or in the high office of some great corporation. Traveling the world over, Brian. Sitting with those that need help and they're just lost in darkness. You are the man. You are the woman. Hallelujah. Do not be spiritually anemic this morning, church. Praise God. Stir up the gift that's within you and watch what God can do with your gift when you dismiss fear out of your life. He'll make a way. He'll make a way when the waters are keeping you from moving forward. He will make a way even though it seems like the Egyptian army is about to overtake you. He will deal with them. You deal with God. Amen. Go with God. He'll go with you. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed.